0: In the spirit of reconciliation, I want to acknowledge that Uncultured the Podcast is edited, recorded, and produced on land that is colonized, of which the traditional custodians are the direct people of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to their elders, past and present. Sovereignty was never ceded. This week's episode of Uncultured the Podcast is sponsored by Niam Wellness, a luxury hair and skincare brand offering a blend of traditional Indian alchemy with modern science. Is this thing on? Cool. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Uncultured, the podcast. I'm your host, Kripa, here to Culture Weeks. This week on Uncultured, we have Ari Kumar, who is in the latest season of Love Island. Now, if you know anything about me, you'll know that I am a reality TV junkie so you best believe I was fangirling internally for this entire episode. Ari is strong, independent and does whatever she wants. It started with moving out of home at 18, travelling, moving to Australia from New Zealand and most recently, hopping on a TV show to look for love. In this episode, we talk about looking for love in your 20s, normalising cosmetic surgery and why brown women are allowed to be sex positive. Let's get into the episode. Here's Ari. Ari. Hi, I'm glad that we finally caught each other. I'm sorry that it's been a bit back and forth, but um, I'm glad that we're we're able to chat now. Yeah,
1: I'm glad too. I've actually, yeah, I remember coming off the show and then um, talking to my publicist about your podcast and he was really excited um, for me to do this one especially, so I am too.
0: I am the biggest Love Island superfan from like, you know, the UK season to the American season and like the Australian season. So, I mean, seeing a brown girl on the Australian season was just mind-blowing because it's so rare that we get to see ourselves on screen depicted as desirable or that people think, you know, we're dateable or hot and I think it was just a huge thing to see you on screen. So firstly, thank you for that.
1: (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, I did get, I was surprised that I did get a lot of the same sort of comments um, in my DMs, in my messages. Yeah, like just girls, uh, brown girls just saying thank you for being. Representing brown women on reality TV, on television in general, and I thought that was actually quite sweet because you know, there, there is a fair point to that. You don't really see a lot of brown women on TV, and you know, in terms of being desirable and all that, it it does play into that a little bit because um, when you're growing up, you kind of taught to be a little bit conservative and you know, not so outspoken and out there
0: yeah it's like twofold because there's the element of we, we aren't really being depicted through the Australian lens as desirable in the first place so when we are on screen we're usually you know the uber smart like academic kid on a tv show um but then the other side of it is like there are restrictions that we place on ourselves because of how we've grown up, and how how we're worried about what people think of us, how we might be more conservative with our bodies and all that kind of stuff, so it was just really good to see to see all of that kind of come together and and be debunked for any of you who haven't heard of Ari she is she was in the latest season of the Australian Love Island series um she absolutely killed it came out with a billion friends um not quite with love on the show but I think you found a lot of love in the friends that you made there it's it's really wonderful to see that and I just knew I had to chat with you immediately um yeah, you were, how was the experience for you, like, at a high level?
1: Um, it was definitely a lot crazier than what our viewers thought it to be. Um, there's so much that plays into uh, just, like, the show itself and um, production. And, you know, obviously we've got, like, certain procedures that we have to follow, restrictions as well, such as not having our phone, um, not having any contact our friends and family the whole time. For me, it was a total of six weeks of not having any contact um, with the outside world and with any of my friends back home or my family. Um, And, yeah, I think it was refreshing in a way. I just thought because I wasn't so glued to my phone, I wasn't reading about the headlines, like, you know, the, the updated news. And it was during, you know, still the pandemic was A lot of things were changing at that time, such as the vaccine and all that. So when I came out, it was just like a little bit of a shock to see a lot of changes.
0: Did you get like news updates at all?
1: No. So, um, yeah, so like, for example, when I came off the show, um, obviously we were in Byron Bay, that's where the show was filmed. I didn't even know um, that the vaccine passports had started so you had to have yeah you had to be double vaccinated to go into um bars and um, pubs and movies and all that and that had actually started when we were on the show so we didn't realize coming off the show yeah
0: can you imagine like going into love island coming out and then being like right so now there's this global pandemic (laughs) it's it's called the coronavirus (laughs) yeah (laughs) just an update yeah
1: so that it that was pretty crazy because we even like certain trending topics, like we weren't up to date with even like new songs and stuff. I yeah. was like, oh, that's a cool song, but it already been out for like so long. So
0: you didn't get music? Um,
1: well, no, <laughs> we oh didn't get God. any music. Um, We didn't have access to a lot of like, yeah, like I said, like our social media and all that. Mm. So we didn't really see any of the trending like topic.
0: Do you feel like the therapeutic aspect of being, you know, detoxed from social media was reversed when you came out because you were just bombarded with everything?
1: Yeah, it was reversed. And as soon as I came out because I had so many um, new followers, so many new fans and supporters, Um, So, it's just a lot of reading messages. I just spent hours on my phone just going through everything, Um, just looking at the articles that came out and just like, you know, just, uh, yeah, updating myself on what had happened in the world. It was crazy, to say the least, that it was actually definitely a reversal.
0: And I guess the only people that would know what you're going through is the rest of the 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 rest of the islanders, right? And some of them would be out, yeah. some of them wouldn't, and so just kind of waiting for the show to finish so you could debrief.
1: It was definitely a waiting game, um, but luckily when I came off the show, there was only a couple to few weeks left of filming. So it wasn't too long and it did go by very quickly. I did have some of the other islanders as well that I could chat to um, just to – yeah, confide in them, and they. I, I guess they could relate to a lot of things that we went through as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what I would say if my friend was like, "So, I'm. I went in. I went to an <laughs> island, looked for love, came back, and I've got like forty thousand new followers." Yeah. yeah, it would be like something that only each other could support each other through in that way, right? You sound like you have a New Zealand accent, so I'm guessing that
1: you grew up there, or. Yeah, so I was born and raised in New Zealand, um, and I've been in Australia for, I would say, two and a half years now. Oh, wow, not Um, that long. Not that long, yeah, but I have always been independent, so I've lived away from home for a total of, I think it's like eight years now. I moved out when I was 18, um, and yeah, I've just been very independent, like to travel around a lot be on my own really
0: (laughs) what made you come to Australia
1: I went traveling in 2019 um just all around the world went to a few countries and then when I went back to New Zealand I just thought I really want to move somewhere different and you know start um fresh and just like have new experiences just like when I was traveling, I was like, there's so much to the world than just New Zealand, <laughs> little New
0: Zealand. Kind of, you kind of want the change of pace, I guess, hey?
1: Yeah. And I thought, I still love New Zealand. I miss New Zealand. That's where my family is. But um, I definitely wouldn't have the opportunities that I've had now, definitely, if i have still in New Zealand.
0: What strikes me as you talk about, you know, moving out at 18 and being really independent and going on a reality TV show, while there are more people from South Asian backgrounds who, you know, follow the same path, it's not necessarily st- – typical of our culture right what I would love to understand is what were you like growing up what were your passions what were your parents like what what was your connection to your culture like why do you think that you've been able to break the mold?
1: I was definitely a confident and outspoken child like growing up I always knew there was bigger things in store for me like I just knew deep down that I had I was going I absolutely loved traveling um So I first went to New York when I was, I think I was 19. um, I did that just with my cousin. So we were quite young and we went by ourselves. And that's when I knew, um, yeah, that I, I loved just being independent, doing things that weren't the norm. So even when I was younger, my parents would always struggle with understanding why I would dress a certain way, why I would speak a certain way Um, because, you know, when when you grow up in a brown family, you're taught to, you know, act in a certain way, behave in a certain way, and you're expected to kind of just stick to the path that your parents would like you to go down in terms of studying, in terms of getting a, a job um finding someone <laughs> and settling down. So yeah, it's just I think it's an expectation that I didn't want to follow because in a way I didn't want to end up like my parents because my parents were quite um they're immigrants from Fiji. So they when they came to New Zealand they were quite poor. You know, they had to they did struggle a lot. So in my head I didn't want to go down that same path.
0: And I think that a a lot of the time what tends to happen is because we've been passed down this privilege from our parents who probably had to struggle um, we've got a bit more like freedom of choice and we can we can do other things and so why waste those waste the chance to do those other things.
1: And I guess I was influenced a lot by western culture obviously there's a lot of things you got to consider as well. Like, even though at home, you know, you've got a certain um, way of life, I was heavily influenced by New Zealand. Movies and, like, the way that people dress and act and speak, I was just very intrigued by it all.
0: I mean, it's a given, right? When you're born and brought up in another country, you can't expect to be completely compartmentalised from where the people you're surrounded by.
1: Because my family coming from Fiji and being quite poor and you know having to struggle a lot in their life um, even my grandparents and my ancestors I thought I really want I really want to be different and I want to break that cycle um that generational cycle so yeah that's what I've I still am working towards to this day
0: yeah and I think what does Provide a little bit of solace, not just to me, but I'm sure to a lot of listeners, is that it's not like your parents weren't strict or weren't connected to their culture. Um, And so there's still that ability to break from it and not necessarily feel like be completely supported in the beginning, but then go to have their support.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. I think over the years, my parents have tried to understand a lot more. And they've really um, definitely got a better understanding of who I am as a person now and what my desires are and what I would like out of life. So, yeah, I'm really actually proud of them too because you know, they've it's 2022 and they've really um, developed their way of thinking and how things actually work in the world.
0: Yeah, to unlearn everything that they've been taught as kids growing up is, is really difficult. And I think it is like a big achievement to be able to kind of like reassess everything you've been told your entire life and be like, actually, you know, it's, it's not that bad if, if we decide to travel or move out or whatever it is. And I can definitely relate. Like I moved out last year and my parents were just like "Mm," at the beginning, but they just kind of, they accept it. And they ultimately, they just want you to be happy. So um, I'm glad that your parents have, Have come around as well. What compelled you to apply for Love Island? Um, What were your past relationships like? I know that you uh, like touched on them during the show, but I'd love to hear what pushed you into applying and what was that kind of what What was the straw that broke the camel's back when you kind of sat there and you were like, you know what, I just got to go on the show?
1: Well especially last year because we were going through the pandemic, you know, it was a really hard time for a lot of people. And I just, a lot of people got into the slump of thinking that they weren't going to achieve a lot of things that they had planned on achieving. And I was like that too. I was in that, definitely in that box of like people. And I thought, oh, I'm really like, I'm not going at the pace that I thought I'd be going at. So I thought, okay. At first when I saw the Love Island application, it was kind of like a joke. So when I applied, I was very like not so serious in my answers in the application, laugh, like doing a lot of ha like just not very, taking it very seriously. Like I didn't think I was going to progress in the application stage. So when I got the the email to cut, then do a video audition and then it just kept progressing into like a face-to-face audition with the exec and it, yeah, it just like kept going and I think most, Out of everything, I think it was my personality that really helped me get casted. Because, yeah, I I feel like there was thousands of people that applied, but there was something that just told me that this opportunity would really help me grow as a person, and also because I had been sing, I've been single for so long. um, I feel like I really dislike this whole online dating thing um tinder all that it it has never been for me so I thought this would be a great yeah it it would be like a great kind of social experiment for myself um personally just to help me get back out there again which in you know in the end it, it did really help me because I actually got feelings for someone which me is a huge thing because I haven't had feelings for someone in a long time so that was a, a big step
0: I, I think um you, yeah you did mention that that it had been a long time since you'd actually fallen for someone and that you'd felt like you were even capable of it because you'd, you'd been single for so long what why do you think it's been harder for you to fall for people
1: I think because I'm so driven and I am so independent and I'm like really bossed yeah, I'm on boss mode. So like, I've been <laughs> <love> really that. <laughs> focused. Yeah, I've just been focused these last few years on really becoming just a better person, becoming successful, helping the people that I care about, um, just helping others around me that I just haven't really thought about myself in that sense and what I might need personally in terms of like a partner to share Experiences with and memories. So, I haven't really been thinking about all that. So, yeah, I feel like I do kind of brush it aside. Like, I don't think about relationships and I don't think about finding someone yeah. necessarily. Like, it's not a priority to me. I think so, that's
0: really fair. Yeah. I think the thing is, when we're younger, you know, say 18, 19, we're getting into relationships and working our lives around the person. Whereas, at the ages that we're at now, like mid-20s, it puts you in a position where someone's got to fit into your life and our lives aren't necessarily going to mould around around that person. And to find, if someone, who, find someone who's going to actually add to your life rather than detract from it is, you know, there's people that are few and far between.
1: Yeah, I agree, especially because I'm so um some would say yeah I am quite fiery and you know I I do have quite a strong personality that it that could play in it as well because I'm quite driven so I feel like that could be a little bit intimidating and some people have suggested that which I never really thought of it that way I just thought oh I haven't really been given anyone the time of day but um yeah some people online have suggested maybe that could be a reason I'm actually,
0: I'm actually really keen to unpack that because I've gotten that comment as well. That you know, mm-hmm. you might just be too much to handle for people, and you know, guys will just run away because you know you're just a lot, and they can't, you know, quote unquote, take care of you. They're, that that whole thing. How do you kind of, how do you, ha- how do you balance that? How do you respond to that? How does that make you feel?
1: I think it's, it is something that we're kind of working on as you know society is kind of working on altogether because for some men especially they would much prefer a woman that is a little bit more toned down isn't so outspoken isn't so driven because sometimes it can overshadow them a little bit and I feel like
0: I guess as well
1: Yeah. So, especially ego I think when a woman is doing quite well for herself and she's progressing in life without a man, it can often be seen as intimidating to a lot of men.
0: Yeah, and so it can also feel like, and I think this is particularly true of of brown culture, is that, you know, when a woman is doing so well for herself, she hasn't really succeeded until she's kind of tied the knot and she hasn't really gotten there until, you know. And I think that's just the thing that, yeah, society is working towards changing that we can be 25 35 45 55 we can be at, like death's door and be single and still be successful
1: oh for sure I just think it's something that we really do need to work on as a collective is that seeing that age and time ta- and time is just it's just a concept it's not real you know it, it's it's something that we kind of That pressure on ourselves by 25, we need this, we need this, we need this, you know, like a house, a husband. It's, but it's just, it's just time is not really real. I don't feel in my mind.
0: I think Instagram also like messes with that as well because I don't know about you, but everyone on my Instagram feed is like getting engaged right now, getting married, having babies. And it makes you feel like you have to, have to tick off this checklist of things in order to be, um, at the same level as everyone your age?
1: Oh, for sure. Especially I feel I was actually listening to a audiobook today and it was talking about how Instagram isn't really real. It's like a highlight reel of all the good moments of someone's life, you know. So you're only watching the really great moments. Um, and that's just what it is, is that, you know, especially now there's a lot of, trending families on social media so if you've got a family and you know you're aesthetically really beautiful and you have a really great life and you're posting a lot about it it's becoming a trend to have children and to be in this kind of like family setting and to post about it so
0: yeah, if you're trend, if you're having yeah. kids for a trend, you probably shouldn't be having kids.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, Wow, everyone's having kids that I didn't think would be having kids. It's it's like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so when you applied, so you got through, you just got like mm-hmm. f- fully pulled into it because you didn't expect it to keep snowballing and getting to the next yeah. stage of everything. Um, did your parents know that you were applying? When did they know uh, parents, siblings <laughs> or, um, you know, the rest of your community? I don't know how involved your parents are in in, in, the, in a brown community, but like what was, what were the reactions of people when you kind of said, look, I'm going on a show to find love?
1: So my thing was I, I'm an optimistic person, but I also don't like to jinx a lot of things. So I didn't want to tell them until I actually had the opportunity and I was told, yes, you are part of the cast and you're going on the Island. Um, so when I got the call that I was casted, um, that's when I decided to tell my parents. And obviously I haven't seen my parents in a long time because of the pandemic um but we do talk often so um yeah like one t- one day when they were just speaking to me I was just like oh look I've got something to tell you um I've actually I'm going on a tv show um and at first my dad was like oh you know that's that's embarrassing <laughs> and he he wasn't (laughs) yeah he was just like well that's you know like he wasn't oh my god that's amazing like Mm. like other you know like a other your normal reaction he would he obviously was like what like (laughs) (laughs) and then it was interesting because it was like a process it was like um so up until, I would say, a month before I was supposed to leave for the show, I told them, especially my mum because she's so emotional, um, she likes to speak to me on the regular. Um, I told her, I was like, look, there's, there's, an op- there's a possibility that I won't get to speak to you for two months because I won't have any contact. And she was just, like, hysteric. She was just, I think that's when she realised that this is quite a big thing for me and yeah. it is a big deal. Um, and that's, and I think my dad realized as well. So up until, just as I was about to leave for the show, um, he actually made a comment and he said, (laughs) he was like, oh, just make sure you do really well in the challenges. (laughs) (laughs) And so so like, (laughs) you know, like I, that's when I knew, oh, like he, he isn't mad about it. He is very happy for me. It's just, um, you know, it took some time for him to come around and like actually understand it and i did say to him it is like big brother so we are being filmed um and it is it's a dating show so yeah i don't think They didn't have a lot to say about it, actually. It was more
0: so me just talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Were they aware, I guess, Love Island is typically like a very sex positive show and it's very obviously dating focused. It's, you know, you you don't shy away from kissing if you like someone on the show. That's kind of expected. Um, And that's not stereotypically what Brown people or brown girls do we're very kind of we're just conditioned to not be too public about that stuff how did you feel going on tv knowing that firstly people would be seeing you in a bikini 24 7 um secondly that people would see you having feelings for someone in real time and you know making out with them in real time or sleeping in a bed with them in real time how was that kind of how was how did you deal with that those feelings in your head
1: I definitely thought about it before I went on the show that there would be a lot of people watching this um, mm. and me being of, you know, um, a brown back- background and um, having a lot of family members that, you know, would know about it and possibly watch it. I just thought in my head, I am different and everyone has known that for a long time. So it's mm. not something that I feel like anyone would be surprised about. Mm. and even then, I just think it would be a great opportunity to actually showcase brown women mm. on television and, you know, like that, well, everything that we're, poss- we're capable and is possible. And so I just thought it was a little bit of a concern, but it wasn't a concern for myself. Mm. It was I was more concerned about my parents and, yeah. like, you know, the comments that they would get. So I was more worried about that. But in the what I realised is a lot of the time my parents have defended me and my actions and they're more than capable of standing up for themselves and standing up for me. So I knew that, like, at the end of the day, people might talk and might say a lot of things and, you know, it's just gossip. But I knew that what I was doing hadn't been done before Mm. and that's what made me different. It's sad that, you know, we we can't be open about our sexuality. We can't be open about these things yeah. because it's seen as, it's slut-shaming.
0: Yeah. If you're a brown woman, you it's black and white. You are this or you're not this. And I think the thing is, yeah, okay, some brown women may not be comfortable, like, being... Promiscuous or you know, sex positive in public, but the fact of the matter is, there are a lot of us who are okay with it, and so we need people like you to show that you know it's a spectrum and that we can, we are capable of being um more than just a fit into this box of what you think we are.
1: Yeah, and especially because, like, growing up, I was a a child that had bigger breasts mm. as a, a younger child, so like it wasn't my fault that I had larger breasts, yeah. but every single time I was made to feel like I was disgusting or like, you know, I, it was my fault if I was showing too much cleavage. And like, it, I think that is the issue in itself as well, is that brown culture kind of pushes the idea that if you show a little bit of skin, you're asking for it. It's kind of like that kind of mindset. If you're comfortable in your body, it doesn't mean that you're looking for attention necessarily. Mm. You're just confident, and that's all it is—is is just confidence.
0: Exactly, and I think, yeah, it is. It is one of the pillars of the toxic part of our culture. But I think it also extends.
1: Yeah, and I, I, t- I completely agree. I think it's definitely an idea that's been passed around in the culture that if that. If a girl is out late, if she's hanging around a lot of men or boys, um, if she's dressing a certain way, if she's showing too much skin, all these things are that she's attention-seeking and that she she lives a certain lifestyle, you know. But it it's not – that's not what it is. Yeah, it's And not I really, really wanted too. to prove that on, on TV that, you know, I dress a certain way but I've been single for so long. Yeah. And I don't have – casual relationships with people. Mm. So, it's like yeah, for me that was just like proving a point in itself.
0: Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. that 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 is so true. And I think that really came through when you were on the show. It was just really clear that you loved yourself and that's it, it's, it's not deeper than that. It's not it's it's not a question of, you know, asking for anything or, you know, and even if it was like that shouldn't be an issue, but that's not what the mm-hmm. case was. What you've been really open in the past about having uh, cosmetic procedures done on yourself, how like women of color don't talk about like cosmetic procedures mm-hmm. much. And it's not necessarily something that we would quickly gravitate towards doing. What kind of, um, what message do you have for people who are considering getting stuff done um, either on their face, their body, what, what, what kind of message do you have for them
1: well I think that's uh yeah a huge reason why I am open about my procedures and what I've had done is because I really want to push the message of like not everything that you see is 100% natural um you know so like certain things I did have to have cosmetic procedures to get a certain look um so if it's something that someone is considering and they're one hundred percent certain that it will, you know, help them with their confidence or for whatever reason that they may have. It's completely their decision, and I I one hundred percent back that. Is that you shouldn't be pressured by anyone else or feel like you have to live up to a certain standard beauty standard um, to get these procedures. It's one hundred percent your decision. Um, if it's something that you've been looking into for a while, just make sure you do your research. Yeah, again, it's not not something that should be pushed onto you and i feel like even surgery itself women who do get surgery and are called fake and plastic and all those nasty things i feel like why should they have to be called those things when it's their decision and they're not doing it for anyone else you know yeah. they might might be doing it just to gain a little bit of self confidence to help them with their self esteem and all yeah. those sorts of things so um you know either way people always have something to say and even exactly. if, you, if you do if you, you don't please everyone. You know?
0: yeah
1: yeah so like even before i was even before my cosmetic procedure i was a little bit overweight i gained a lot of weight over time obviously as you do um when you get older your metabolism slows down and i was called fat i was sorry, i was still sucks. healthy yeah yeah and it was it was i think i feel like it does stem from that whole um you know society just likes to comment on people's weight and if i see they they've put on a little bit of weight i'll be like oh my god she's gained weight um so then if you do something to
0: to make yourself feel better about it you're also wrong so like
1: yeah so i definitely think my cosmetic procedures i'm very happy with and um yeah there was no sort of negative consequence from it i think ever since i've had my cosmetic procedures it's just helped me gain a little bit more confidence um, and it's definitely helped me get to where I am today. So, um, I don't, I don't see anything negative about having anything done. Again, if you if you feel like you really want it, it's totally your decision. Um, and sometimes you may not need it, but if you want it, it's totally up to you. Yeah,
0: and I do think that that confidence is so worth it, rather than the debilitating feeling of like you know, whether it's, whether other people see a problem, quote unquote problem with how you look or not, it's that feeling that you have within yourself. And if that can be changed, like, and you feel like you want it, want it to change, then there shouldn't be an issue with it. And I think um the fact that you spoke about it was, was really, really good because it makes people realize that it's not, like this unattainable kind of Instagram the viewers of the show could feel intimidated by it It feels like there's a sense of relatability there which I think would have been really really useful for a lot of people who were you know who looked up to you during the show
1: yeah and I feel like especially in this industry and like celebrity influencer culture there is a lot of um unspoken things like about procedures about people have had done to their bodies and it, it does kind of set this unrealistic beauty standard for most people you know because like, people are always like on you know especially social media nowadays plays a huge part in that so for young especially for my younger followers I always want to be open about what I've had done Just interrupting
0: your daily screening, regular programming for a quick break. And we're going to be talking about Niam Wellness, our sponsor for this week's episode. If you tune in weekly to our episodes or fortnightly or whenever, then you'll know that I'm obsessed with Niam Wellness. Uh, Niam has been our sponsor for the last couple of episodes and I have made an active effort um, early on to start using their products because I'm really lazy with my hair care. And I knew that as soon as I tried their fortifying hair oil the first time, they would become a regular product part of my hair care routine. Neem is founded by two Indian-Australian women and they do just the best job combining all the Indian parts of their culture and all the Australian parts of their culture um, and their identities to really create this brand and this vision that makes you feel like you're in both India and Australia at the same time Um, and what I mean by that is so many of the ingredients are either Ayurvedic and like fresh from the roots of and all the teachings of our ancestors but on the other side of it you've got botanical Australian um, herbs and yeah you've just never seen anything like it. You guys have to go follow them at Niam Wellness, that's N-I-Y-A-M Wellness uh, on Instagram, or you can head to their website to order straight away, um, and that is N-I-Y-A-M-hyphen-wellness.com. I honestly, like, full, full serious, I recommended this to one of my guy friends, and he bought it, and, like, verbatim, he said, this stuff is so good, it smells amazing. And I don't know about you, but that's like the ultimate guy review. So, stop wasting time, pause the episode, buy a bottle of fortifying hair oil, and then you can tune in for the rest of the episode. Let's get back into it. How did it feel, being one of the very few women of colour on the show, did you feel like um, your chances would be impacted? Because, I mean, we just... Um, on the podcast, I just did an episode on um, whether dating preferences are racist and um, all the all the mm. nuances around that because it's it's such a complex issue. Um, and after I did the research for that, I was just like, I need like a five day nap because because mm. there's just so many things that play into it. Did you feel like it affected you, your chances, or the way people did you feel fetishized at any point? What, what was your experience like being one of the few women of color on the show?
1: Yeah, that's a good point to touch on um, being fetishized because I I do remember as soon as I walked in, you know, I thought, okay, surely this season they'll have a more diverse cast and which I was really excited about because um, a lot of seasons, you know, hasn't really been much. But as a brown woman, I was walking in, I knew that I was, South Asian, I knew that, you know, I was going to look different from the rest. Um, I've always, you know, I always knew that. So I just thought I'm just going to just be myself and let my personality shine. And at the end of the day, if someone's going to like me, they're going to like me for who I am on the inside. And, you know, it was hard because there were a lot of white Australian Cast members, and especially like the bombs that came in, they were still the same race, and they still had a certain type that they had in mind, or that who they would usually go for and were attracted to. So it just made it that little bit harder, I would say. And because I didn't make it to Castrol Amore, which was the where a lot of the bombs came in. Um, I was still holding out up until then for someone who would just come in that had me as, like, um, as their type physically. So it wouldn't be necessarily such a struggle for mm. getting to know someone without first being attracted to me.
0: Yeah. I can imagine that, like, um, so when I was doing the research, um, on that episode, I, I, one of the stats that I was reading was that most people, um, like overwhelming research is that most people date within their race, and if that is the case, then. It just makes it all that much harder when the majority of cast members are white because Mm -hmm. then you're just left with people who are going to go for other white cast members. And, um, yeah, I mean, what do you think needs to be done about
1: that? I just think in the future if, you know, shows are going to use um, people of colour that it shouldn't just be for tokenism. It should be a genuine using people of colour for the benefit of the show as well and for, you know, them to actually f- help them find love because, you know, when you throw someone like a person of colour on into a show just to box tick to show that you've got someone of colour on there, it's, it makes it harder for them and doesn't, in Mexico you know, like it, we never really stand a chance because you're not really putting people in there who are going to match with each other.
0: It's also harmful to like people of color watching the show because I just, I was like so excited to see you on Love Island, but like a little part of me would, would just be like, I just hope like, like she's not going to have to deal with a whole lot of shit. And that just, that anxiety that it would cause for people, um, who would, you know, people of color watching the show, it's just, you're gonna make a better experience for everyone if you create more diversity because you're allowing people to properly invest in the show and get excited without any inhibitions, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. you know and people's in people's defense and some of the arguments would be, oh, it's an Australian show, but Australia is multicultural, you know, and it is diverse. I was it's born not in Australia just one color like you know yeah, exactly. and you know, <laughs> I think one thing I would like to see moving forward with Love Island as well is an Aboriginal um, Indigenous person just because we haven't had that.
0: Yeah, I I'm, I was really surprised that there were no yeah Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander uh, contestants this season at all. I know we had um, Brooke Burton who was a Bachelorette, um, which was amazing, mm-hmm. but it 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 can't just be like a one time thing. It's like you know oh we've done it exactly.
1: You know? Yeah, again the tokenism. I think it needs to be showcase throughout the seasons you know not just oh as we move forward there's like one person they're going to add every single season um needs to be equal I think and especially early on the show it would be nice to have some people um just so they have a bit of chance not just bringing certain people in throughout the show just to mix it up but to have an opening cast where there is quite there's quite diverse so that'd be nice
0: too. You would obviously get like more support as an opening cast member. People have more time to get to know mm-hmm. you and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it is it is complex. I guess um, I would love to round it off by asking you a bit about the like the show and your relationships with people on the show. Now that it's all wrapped up, you obviously made uh, loads of friends on Love Island. Are you still in contact with everyone?
1: Yes, so I am in contact with a lot of the girls from the show. I have met a lot of the girls that didn't actually meet on the show as well, um, just because a lot of them are from Queensland. So um, we've caught up on a number of times now, but I am still in contact, especially with um, some of my Sydney girls, um, Jess, Tina, um, Michaela, I met outside the show as well. So, yeah, a number of the girls I've actually been in contact with um some of the boys as well so some of the boys say that I didn't meet on the show I got to speak to them um and yeah just like I think it's it's good because we're all a community (laughs) together because we have you've all gone through the roller
0: coaster yeah
1: yeah so like we're always here for each other and we always will support each other no matter what we do so I think that's still there and it's still going strong so hopefully we still have that in the future yeah
0: uh mm. big question are you in touch with Ryan <laughs> um
1: no, i wouldn't say we speak uh but whenever i see him we are amicable so like i say hello to him and he's he says hello back and it yeah it's it's pretty civil, but, yeah, like, I wouldn't say we speak.
0: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. That, that's that's really fair. How do you feel about all of the stuff that's been happening post-show? Because uh, th- I know there's been a lot of talk about how um, so much has happened after the show that, mm-hmm. you know, there should have been, like, cameras on as people left the villa because there's just, like, I yeah. think there there's – I don't know if there's any, like, original couples left from the show. Um, and so – how do you feel about the mixing and matching of people post-show?
1: Um, I've definitely been there for a lot of it. So, I ha- you know, I've stood by a lot of the people that are really going through the motions and who are impacted by it because it is real life at the end of the day. It's not still a show. It's um, not scripted. It's people's emotions and their feelings. So, yeah, I've still – I've been <sighs> – I've yeah I've really had to see my friends hurt from it and I think it is hard because it's at the end of the day we are still under the microscope of like the public opinions and how they feel about us still so So
0: everyone's got this parasocial relationship with with all the contestants um from love island and i think it it almost people feel entitled to answers and entitled to kind of what's happening tomorrow in your life and i can imagine it's exacerbated um when something big happens like a friend hooking up with your ex and that kind of stuff so um, oh
1: yeah, it's awful. And like when you see articles about yourself online, you see people talking about it before you even get to hear about it from the person. is really hard. So yeah, I really feel for um, my friends who are going through a lot of the emotions of you know just like the breakup and then like finding out certain things online. It can be hard. Yeah. Yeah. Has it affected it your hard.
0: relationships with the other parties involved at all?
1: Yeah, I think like sometimes, you know, even though we don't want to pick sides, it naturally just happens because you want to be there for your friend who obviously you're closest with and then you still want to be kind and civil with the other people as well but it's a little bit hard because everyone kind of just slips.
0: Yeah, it's hard yeah. to not be a little bit biased when, someone's, when your friend is hurt, I guess. What message do you have for brown women who um, are in touch with their sexuality but hesitant to showcase it. And then on the other mm-hmm. side of the spectrum, what message do you have for people who slut shame brown women under the guise of culture?
1: That's what I-, I am an expert in this. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm asking just- you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I just feel like in this day and age, no matter how much you hide, the truth and hide how you may feel and how you really want to act and dress and um, be perceived, it will always come out. So it's easy to just embrace it and just be sexual and be who you want to be because at the end of the day, if, if you don't do these things now while you can and you say in 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you're really going to regret not being who you are and who you, who you wanted to be as a person, because you were too worried about how you may be perceived.
0: Like to think about how you're going to look back on yourself, like when you're, yeah, fifty and regretting that, and maybe feeling different about your body as you as you age and as you have kids and as you you know grow older, and then feeling like,
1: yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, and especially confidence is key. So I feel like always have confidence in yourself. Um, even how, if,
0: how do people like grow that if they if they aren't?
1: So what one thing I noticed that uh, one of my friends actually commented on, actually mentioned was they were like, "Oh Ari, like you know, even before your surgery, you always were this bad bitch." And I was like, <laughs> you know what? I I was, and I don't know why, but. <laughs> looking back i just like never gave a shit about anything that anyone ever said or you know even when i wasn't i didn't look my best or when i didn't have a little bit of weight on me and i didn't um have any fillers or you know like i still had confidence in myself and i think that's so attractive the one thing that attracts people to you and you know makes you just being confident yeah more captivating that's the word um confidence is everything even if you're not at that peak yet even if you haven't reached your goals like if you just wake up every day and just say I am the baddest
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's what I do every morning (laughs) yeah yeah
1: yeah just actually just say that every morning just be like I'm a bad bitch and you know what I don't care I don't care about anything
0: (laughs) literally and that shit works it'll like <laughs> okay live. maybe not
1: like that but <laughs>
0: <laughs> it'll feel like it's not real for like a month and then after a while yeah. you're like wait this is actually true
1: <laughs> yeah so like even if you don't believe it if you just like say it repetitively and like yeah. live in it
0: yeah you start to
1: believe often it often you believe it
0: well I will ask you one last question uh before
1: we head are you still looking for love I'm looking for it if it comes to me naturally, yeah. I'm not forcing it, but say I do meet someone, right place, right time. Timing is everything. So I feel like right now I am very focused on myself again, just you know, growing as a person. But Love Island did teach me a lot of things. So I'm grateful for that. So yeah. What I'm are your what are your what are your
0: plans that you're gonna be focusing on over the next year?
1: Just becoming the baddest version of myself. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I'm going to peak soon. I'm going to peak soon and it's going to be great. If your peak hasn't
0: already come, that's like...
1: I'm always looking for the peak. And yeah, that's what you've got to remember as well. Like, Don't ever settle. Always strive to become more.
0: Well, Ari, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. You You are a um, wonderful human being. You're not fake (laughs) at all. Like, you just put yourself out there and you love yourself. And I think um, a lot of people can learn from that and, you know, emulate that.
1: Oh, thank you. I I had a great time chatting to you and I'm glad it was um, on a podcast such as this one because I really I really do believe in supporting brown women and what you're doing is God's work.